someone who has the potential has you know has probably already begun that light is in there somewhere lots of our most well-known students had never written songs before they came to the school but what do what do they bring well they've got an amazing knowledge of this genre or they've just absolutely talented so i think that potential can be seen because if you are 13 14 you that light that fire has probably been lit already and it's probably real. One thing that we struggle with here is a child that wants to be famous because the chances of that, that that's not what drives us. Hello there. I hope you're doing well. It's Steve Ingham here and a very warm welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. Now, I'm a sports scientist by trade and training and have supported athletes throughout my career towards the podium. But I've also led and developed high-performance teams both in sports and business. And that's what we're really trying to explore in the Supporting Champions podcast. It's all about exploring the dynamics of high-performance with people who have been there and done it, people who have supported others to succeed, or have explored those performance concepts in real depth. We hope that you can find something in these conversations and insights that can help you reflect develop yourself or the people around you. And we hope that they can support and champion you to understand, to relate to each other, to progress in your work and the way that maybe that you live your life. Now, this week's guest is Stuart Warden, principal of the Brit School. If you haven't heard of the Brit School, it's a performing arts and technology school in in Croydon in South London. But this is no ordinary performing arts school. The alumni read like a who's who of music, dance, film and production. Singers such as Adele, Leona Lewis, Katie Melua, Jesse J and bands such as The Feeling, actors such as Kush Jumbo, Tom Holland, Cleve September, dancers such as Twist and Pulse, YouTube comedians such as Purcell Ascot and Joyvan Wade, and many more students who've come through the school, perhaps who we wouldn't know, but other people that maybe set the lighting for concert or stage shows, write poetry or adapt screenplays. So how does a performing arts school support talent that comes through its doors? How do the school teachers select people to attend? Well, in this discussion with Stuart, he shares the values, philosophies, challenges that he and many of his incredibly talented teachers create. What lies at the centre of the discussion that you'll hear is about environment and how the very sense of a place and what it lives for and how it feels can be a force for the development of incredible performance and people who want to make a difference in this world. This is all against the backdrop of the arts being profoundly undervalued in the educational systems around the world and under great threat during the restrictions on gatherings with the current corona pandemic. Stuart has such passion and conviction. His approach seemed to me to be deeply caring about how we should support young people. And I found his outlooks and insights truly enriching as I could feel my worldview being shifted and enhanced with every answer that he gave. By the end of the discussion, I was genuinely enlightened. Well, a very warm welcome to the podcast, Stuart. So um, thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be a real treat for me. Um, h- how are you? How, how are you and how's the school in this strange situation that we're in? Yeah, I'm personally well. My family are well. Um, 
and uh, the school is in in good health but you know quite queer times and quite you know quite queer health but we're good um it's been powerful to see how young people have responded creatively and imaginatively and um with passion frequently actually to um staying uh, uh working as artists and as young people in school uh, we've had a very high attendance rate we've been online since day one of lockdown um when we needed to be some of our students have 100 percent of their lessons here some have 50 percent with lessons online um and the technology and the creativity of young people have always amazed me and this is our last week of term steve so if i sound a little tired it's because we've been on the go since march um and i'm looking forward to you know closing my eyes but i'm happy to be here and the school is in, is in good shape. It's in good shape, and uh, and I know it's it's been difficult for many of the children here, particularly those that have come from more challenging backgrounds. But they're in. Uh, they're creating. Uh, there's theatre shows tonight online. There is dance assessments, film, uh, digital design assessments all week. So we're busy, and we're glad to be busy. Fantastic. Well, that's amazing to hear that there's a, a semblance of of normality, and you sort of allude there to the this idea of of when lockdown sort of struck that it was as much the removal of that day-to-day regular that was probably as much the disruption than um than the pandemic itself yeah i mean i think um i think young people are really adaptable but they do like structure so you know nine o'clock is nine o'clock and half four is half four the sprit school lives in a flexible world always has done you know it's quite fluid it's quite adaptable but still people need structure and they i think a lot of young people like coming to work doing their work and then going somewhere else and that whole um hard to know when you're at work and when you're at home and when you're at play and when you're not at play um that's i think that's been challenging for everyone but i'm um, i'm proud of how they've uh they've they've responded so principal of the brit school and so much so many potential angles that i could ask you about and love to chat to you about um but could you just tell us a little bit about your background Stuart yeah sure so I'm um I'm, I'm trained in theatre and film they were my subjects at college uh and I thought I was going to be a film director or a playwright and I've been both um and was for a number of years and I still am so I still I still see myself as an active um theatre director I happen to direct here and I was a film theorist and I still teach film here. So I'm a practicing filmmaker and theater maker um, who runs a school. I've been at the school for um, 26 years now. So I came here um, for, for one year um, because I wanted to, um, I needed the money. Uh, my production company was not struggling, but it was a hard life. So I thought, well, I'll just get some income for a year. And I'd, I'd, I'd done some teaching. So I came to this place which was chaotic and beautifully anarchic. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. It's not really a school. And uh, and it's remained the same, uh, except for now the whole world knows it. But at the time, no one did. And it's been lovely to watch the school travel from uh, sort of obscurity into being a well-known um, force in the end, sort of creative and education spheres. Um, but it's also really lovely that it's remained anarchic and odd. And that's, that's for me, is a beautiful thing. Was that part of the attraction, the anarchy of it? Or was there a specific artistic version of anarchy that you were embracing there? I, I think I've always liked the idea of access. 
and how important it is that the arts are accessible to all. It's driven me politically and it's driven me artistically to find a find that the art could be available to all, that it wouldn't remain just an elite uh, pastime. Uh, and the school is free. No one pays to go here. And that, as soon as I walked in the doors, I saw young children who would never have access to recording studios or dance lessons or or art and film lessons, but they had a passion for their subject. And that that's quite electric to be around, to be around those who have not been given the means of production to be creative. Uh, and so as a state-funded school, that was thrilling uh, and always has been. And the anarchy within it um, has been that it um, it will resolutely do its own thing as young people would wish to. So if you're encouraging young people to be original and to be revolutionary and brave, you you better allow them to do it. <laughs> um, otherwise, you're going to get in trouble and they're going to find you out. So it's a lot of people say, oh, the school's very relaxed. It hasn't got any rules we work really hard to be this relaxed and there are loads of rules they're just not the rules that some other schools have and they are implicit with inside the ethos explicit with inside the ethos i would say and that has always been exciting it's always been a really strange place like no other school but recognizable as a school okay so there's a couple of interesting dynamics there in terms of rules but not rules if you sort of mean um the duality of of chaos but also harnessing it um, and embracing it. That, um, so, so your background, so your res- first responsibility as a teacher was was what, and 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 how's your career developed through the Brit School? Yeah, so I was employed here to teach primarily theatre, and I was given a course to run called the Combined Course, which had singers, dancers, and actors on it, and the it was well known in the school as the um, uh, Combined Course, or its nickname was the Can't Make Up Your Mind Course. <laughs> It was treated with disdain by the community because these kids didn't know what they wanted to do. And I thought, well, rather than that being a negative, it's a positive. How fantastic to have maybe three skills or to um, know that you're going to go on an adventure. I've always really believed in adventure as being like the central premise to, you know, great things happening. And um, and so I, I said, OK, well, and they were sort of like renegades you know, they weren't the musicians of the school, they weren't the actors of the school, they weren't the um, dancers of the school. So I sort of saw it as quite a a potential for sort of revolutionary sort of behaviour. And they, it was thrilling. We we renamed the course Music Theatre, which of course is quite a well-known term. And then now it has, I think we had seven on the course when I started and they were all, no one cares about us. We don't get the best rehearsal rooms. No one, you know, and uh, and it was just a blast kind of like, turning these kind of slightly um, uh, lost people into like a found tribe. And uh, yeah, we had a thrilling time together. And I still teach on that course. It now has 300 students on it uh, in different year groups. Um, It's now got, you know, there's not many West End shows that don't have a Brit School MT student on it, but they've also gone on to be brilliant teachers, uh, great policemen, great mothers and fathers. Uh, But yeah, so I kicked off that course and um, and then I also brought in the community element of the Brit School, which has, which is which is at the heart of I think what differentiates it from some other places. That um, so I brought in a well I didn't bring it in I was given it by an amazing woman called Annie Garrett, who's and Annie said uh, we want to run community projects at Brit 
and I set up a project with a pupil referral unit in my first year, and it was an absolute, it was a horror show of incompetence on my behalf. But it was a great adventure, and that then now has become the community arts sort of strength of the school, which every child does a community project, and we have a, we have our very own community arts course here. So, if, to summarise, I was driven by celebrating artists who had more than one skill who were potentially polymathic which i've always think is necessary and helpful and i was driven by uh trying to give young artists a sense of community when we opened in croydon croydon wasn't sure about us they were saying from fame from croydon you know very predictable kind of daily mail type response to mocking artists which i've always found abhorrent um and then there was you know what are you doing in there? You're just having fun. As if like putting on a play was easy or making a film was easy, which of course we all know it isn't. So um, yes, that's a bit of a wide version of events, but it was trying to grab hold of these combined artists and grab hold of this potential for being a community force for good that drove me. And then I ran that course. I then was asked to run the theatre course at Brit. And then for a glorious period of time, I was the artistic director of the school, um, assistant principal for the arts, which basically was just an absolute pleasure. And we had some glorious times and lots of the young people that known that came through the school, you know, we we really, we just changed direction of the school, um, hopefully with my leadership and a great guy who's the principal called Nick Williams. Uh, and then when Nick left, they asked me to apply and that was eight, nine years ago. So I've been the principal ever since. Wow. So shock horror that you might have some fun rather than making kids toil away at, at what they're studying. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing. I think, I think fun is um, should be really rated. You know, I'd like to have fun. I think most people do. And I don't know why schools... Well, no, lots of schools are fun, but possibly in the corridors and possibly on trips and maybe. but And, and in some lessons, of course. But, you know, I think making up art is really hard it makes you vulnerable it makes you um really have to express yourself and expose yourself and it's serious hours i mean if you want to be a professional musician or professional dancer the hours of work is something else i mean truly something else so um that sense of dedication and commitment has to have some fun wrapped around it otherwise it's just too painful it's, it's too hard for a teenager to slog away in the ballet rooms or in the art rooms or making a movie without having a sense of joy, possibly around, you know, having jokes every day at school is like my main aim. Mm. It's not my main aim, but it's one of my aims. Yeah. <laughs> that comes up in your appraisal. Um, the, this idea about this combined course is interesting, and uh, I'd love to get your observations about the the benefit of a broad training versus certainly in sport we're very familiar with this idea of early specialization and there are both sides of the argument as to whether you should do that now if you have one particular destination in mind there may well be a necessity to entrain that skill that movement pattern that mindset versus actually it appears as though a lot of the very best athletes in the world, they have they have explored, they have tried a number of different sports before they then hone in and start to focus on one particular event. What's your thoughts in terms of the the benefit of having that breadth and that that diversity 
even if the, the end destination might be more specialised? Well, I'll give you a really good example. I was in the theatre on Thursday looking at some of our lighting designers. Now, these are very gifted teenagers who know how light works and technology works, and, they, and they're probably now in their final year of the course, and they are, that's where that, that probably will be their destination, that they will want to go and light West End shows or rock tours. And so they're on this production arts course, very, very significant part of the school, 100 young people on that course. Um, but in their first year, they would have to have done everything that is involved in the creative process. They would have had to make costumes. They would have had to learn sewing. They'd have to learn how to make a prop. They'd have to learn how to stage manage. And they may well surprise themselves, which, of course, is the great wish for all artists, which is to find themselves surprised you know, by, by what they're attracted to or what they're able to do. Because if you, if you um, put a lid on someone's direction of travel... I think that's a bit of a problem. And also I think it denies appreciation. So if you're a lighting designer who does not understand how costume and fabric work, you're going to not be able to really light costume well. And equally, if you're a costume designer who doesn't really understand how light works and you've denied yourself access to that learning, you're, you're simply not going to be apt to add to the overall ensemble. Uh, another example, of course, would be a musician who doesn't really understand how a microphone works. That would be limiting. Uh, because you wouldn't, A, understand how you can use a microphone, but also you might not understand what your tech is doing to make that mic work. And therefore, a division appears between the artist and the, the creative behind the art. And I think that can be challenging. I think that can be difficult because you, what you want, and what I love about theatre is that usually, of course, there are exceptions, but usually everyone appreciates everyone. And the whole becomes like wonderful. You don't. Most rock stars know it's not them; it's the others that have led them to their, to their, <laughs> to their place. And I like an environment that encourages kind of a, an appreciation of everything that's led to that moment. Love that. And it reminds me of um, talking to some of the guys at Cirque du Soleil, where actually there was a, very much a, a focus on well, I'm the performer, I'm the contortionist, I'm the trapeze artist. Um, we shouldn't have equal pay with the musicians. And then they took the musicians away and made them perform for an audience with no music. And then suddenly there was a much deeper empathy and that they can't perform at the same level or in the same environment or atmosphere. It feels as though that's, that's informed. It feels as though it's progressive in terms of how they can utilise their art form, knowing... The, knowing the, the broader background. Yeah, and I think from my world, if you think about all the great polymaths, they they normally, they may not be so strong at acting as a musician, but that they are willing to step outside and take a risk and be brave, go on a, an adventure that they don't know. Our production art students are some of the most popular students in the school. They would be because they work with everyone. Every Every actor or dancer or singer knows nothing happens without the tech and so they become heroic in the in the cement that they are in the building um and i think that's a good culture and i understand what cirque did there that's clever hmm. so you mentioned brave there and you've mentioned you sort of hinted as to a number of the sort of personal qualities the the behaviors the mindset so how would a how would a young person become a pupil at the school? What's what's the process? What would an audition look like for somebody? 
so the process is probably what you would expect. It's that the it's the ethos which is unexpected, perhaps. So the process is you think you're interested in this, you put an application forward that's typed and sent online and and then vast majority of people, because we're a state school and we want to be open to everyone, pretty much everyone who applies gets a chance to come to the school and show what they can do in their art form. And we meet with them and we kind of like work out, would they benefit, would they make an impact and would um, would this be worth their while really? And there's years of experience that have led to that. We have criteria. Um, but the, the bit that is probably the unsaid stuff is the question of empathy is a question of heart you know um if you could measure someone's empathy then you could really measure great artists probably from the word go <laughs> because it's the singular requirement i think to make terrific art so um yeah we would like to work on that sometimes you know sometimes people haven't been in an environment where they've learned to love or they've learned to respect others or they've learned they've not learned to listen um, but sorry, to, I've gone a bit wide there. To be very specific, people apply, they are seen, they are workshopped in their art form, they meet with the staff, they work in a group environment, and then um, some decisions are made. So, uh, but in our heads, the whole time is it will they will they be able to contribute here? Will we will 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 we be able to contribute? And as a state school. We have to ensure that there's a diverse range here, particularly from economic backgrounds and from backgrounds that may be less, um, have less voice in the arts. So we take that and have always taken that very seriously as who we are. Um, and, you know, we need to give opportunities to all. Well, yeah, a couple of interesting ones there in terms of that singular focus, which I might come back to. But you, you said, will they contribute and can we contribute to them? So are you looking for um, for what they can bring to the whole of the Brit school? And therefore, if they're adding to the value that other pupils are going to appreciate uh, versus we're going to be able to develop that single person. Right. OK. I think um, there's a combination of things going on there. But as an example, I just met with the nominated students of the year the other week, and this was a, a, a designer, um, a filmmaker, a an actor, um, uh, and the fourth person was an artist. So artist, designer, um, filmmaker, and an actor. All of them are actually activists. Um, one of them had done an extraordinary piece of work during Black Lives Matter, Another student had contributed to a discussion on sexual harassment uh, and the Me Too movement. Uh, another had contributed like heavily to other social discussions, including the state of the NHS. And that activism is is really um, encouraged here, not because we're a politically driven, but we believe in the voice. So for a young person to find their voice helps them collaborate. So probably being open to using their voice or discovering their voice. They may have already got it. They may not have found what they believe in. You know, I was speaking to this actor and her work is so driven and she was so like, I didn't know this is what I wanted to do. I didn't know I wanted to create a film about sexual harassment amongst young women. Um, but I do now because I've been given a space to think about how I want to use my voice as a female artist. So, um, and talking to the, um, uh, the young man who designed this incredible T-shirt, which um, sold heavily during Black Lives Matter when it was at its height in the sp late spring and summer, 
uh, talking to him, he was like, I'm, I'm not sure that I knew that I wanted to make this work, but I do now. Um, so I think that contribution, is it to the school? It's probably to the wider society, but that's not to say that a child who applies who hasn't yet found that would be excluded from that process. It's not that everyone's, you know, supersonically woke here and, um, you know, <laughs> changing the world. It's probably that they might want to. Or they'd be they'd be okay around people who wanted to change the world. This is a very diverse school. We were one of the first schools ever to work with Stonewall. And this is like 20 years ago. This isn't like a rainbow jump on the bandwagon organisation who wants to you know look good in on the in the media. We've always done that, um, and that's because we believe that bullying is probably the sole reason for young people not succeeding at school. So you need to remove those barriers pretty quick and with love in order for people to express themselves. So uh, this isn't, <laughs> I'm not sure this is helping anyone with the application process. No, I, no, I'm, no, this is exactly what I was interested in terms of the, you, you sounded, go on Stuart. I want to encourage an environment here where uh, a lot of people talk about, oh, you can be yourself. And um, here, it, that's real. The place to be you is our camp, has been our, our sort of catchphrase or as is always Brit for so long that um, people are like, Oh, can you say something else? I'm like, no, it is the place to be you. As long as you're not a racist, a homophobe or a misogynist, you're going to be okay here. You know, um, well, hopefully you're going to be okay here. You'll find out what you are. A lot of artists I speak to said, well, it was at Brit school that I worked out who I was. Um, and then for when I went into the world of work or I went into uni or I went into vocational school, I knew what I was about. Um, I'd worked that out. I'd been given the space because, you know, that neurology of the 14 to 18 year old is so unbelievably exciting. That second wave of brain change is like, you know, it's brilliant. So if you can harness that and you can encourage that, then so many exciting things are, are possible. I'm hearing there a, a strong element of self-awareness and just that willing, that freedom to explore. And that might be testing some versions of their identity to see which feels perhaps personally the most authentic and that self-discovery feels very purpose-driven individual purpose but purpose to what's my contribution to the wider society too i couldn't agree more i think that um the self it's it's quite damaging if a child gets to become an adult and they don't know who they are yet you know that's i know, I know none of us know who we are but it's um if you haven't been given a chance to sit in an LGBT assembly and go, okay, I hadn't really thought like that before, or to be in a mental health awareness week, which we've been doing for many years going, wow, I didn't understand that condition. Or maybe that's why that young person behaves like that. Or um, having black history run through the school, although we do focus on it in, in, in October, it is, it is, it runs, I hope through the curriculum and through our lives and, you know, what, and why people like Archie Madakwi and Percy Ascot have been so prolific during the last few months, I think is because they were already using their voice when they were 15, 16. And therefore, by the time they hit their 20s, they are comfortable with who they are. And that, I think, creates like probably a better world. But, but it also creates, for our job, it creates better art because you believe in what you're producing. You don't need to be told what to write about you don't need to be told what to paint about or make movies about you you, you know what you want to say i think it's all too common that many people don't know themselves actually and i think that um that's that's a big 
that's a huge lesson to, to be taken away from this conversation about how important that is to the development of young people. And I just go back to that point about you, you, you might have potentially glossed over what could be a really difficult moment in your um, you embracing people. Um, you said, and then we make a decision. <laughs> um, what, what's the quality you're looking for? What's the combination of qualities that, that gives somebody the, the potential or, or that you see something in them? I, I'm hesitant to say that you think they'll be successful or I'm hesitant to say that um, star quality or the X factor because you've just used a phrase that was fascinating, better art. Now, it might not be that that art becomes successful commercially or in terms of popularity. But what are the things that you're looking for in somebody? I think, well, there is, we are looking at potential. And I think that potential is in their artistic skill or their ambition. And ambition is a good word here. It's not a word that's been sort of dirtied by um, however, I think young people, the other day I went to see a student being interviewed for our open evening next week and they were asked if you could sum up what the Brit school is looking for in one word, what would it be? And I was hoping they might say kindness or they might sign um, uh, uh, being comfortable. But this young person who's a really talented artist, he said uh, ambition. And I was like, oh, that's harsh. But but I, it's a word we use a lot here and it's one of our values because I, I think that ambition is a really, if it's turned on its head or it's just owned, it's just the most exciting thing to be around. You know, who says you can't write a number one hit record? When were you ever told you couldn't choreograph a dance? Or when were you told that your filmmaking skills were soft skills, which is just, you know, one of those my pet hates. Um, the, um, the uh, yeah, so what I'm, what I'm sorry, I'm just putting my phone back. The, um, uh, so we are looking for talent or the potential for talent to grow. For growth, I think is important. Um, I think the ensemble is really important here. We have large classes. We're a state school. So you've got 25 filmmakers in a room. This isn't like a select group of six. So, you know, these are big classes. So you want that individual to feel comfortable in a group setting. And that's why all workshops have until COVID been group based because we want people who can work with others can be collaborative. So that's a key. Um, we do need people to have some sense of resilience. Um, so that can often be crudely, that would be seen in their attendance. Do they actually attend school? Because, um, you know, this is a quite a challenging industry to go into and you've got to You've got to have resilience to cope, I think. And that can be health, but there's no exclusion of people who have health issues. It's just it's just we're looking for people who will who will be here. You know, um, the school can be open from seven in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. It's it asks a fair bit of us because um, <laughs> it's just it's just that's the way it is here. There's a it's, it's busy and therefore people need to be able to cope with that pace, I think. Um, and yeah, so I think that's probably outlined some of the things we're looking for. There is, we have most of the staff that work in the strands here, which are the art forms, are from the industry. So, you know, 
painters who are still painting in the industry, uh, filmmakers who are still making movies, broadcasters that are still working in radio. And so they know what professional standards are or what professional standards you can get to. We have 30 years of experience of that. So that um, that guides us. And then there is a kind of wish for someone who does wish to um, embrace everything that comes their way. So uh, if you just want to be a ballet dancer and you're not interested in street or jazz or tap, you might well be a bit limited here because we're going to push you to the left and to the right. And um, yeah, an, an actor who just wants to work on Shakespeare might be dissatisfied that they're having to work on physical theatre or community work or they're having to work um, as a scriptwriter or, or a director. So singular people here, although they will do well, they'll they'll certainly be pushed out of their singularity. And so um, the, I'm hearing openness, the resilience and that potential. Uh, how do you spot those? Because they're, they're almost intangible concepts. I'm not sure that they are. I think I think there is... Um, an example would be, uh, so we've never watched more film than ever before. Um, and there's never been more access to movies than ever before. Um, and everyone's now a filmmaker, which I think, and a photographer, which is fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant that we've all got these, mean, the means of production are, are in our hands. So it's, it's taken away quite an elitist approach to say filmmaking. Everyone can now probably using smartphones or something. Um, so someone who has the potential has probably already begun you know has probably already begun that light is in there somewhere lots of our most well-known students had never written songs before they came to the school but they might have had a huge passion for a diverse which doesn't doesn't mean that they're excluded from the process it just means that we have to accept that but what do what do they bring well they've got an amazing knowledge of this genre or they're just absolutely talented so i think that potential can be seen because if you are 13 14 you that light that fire has probably been lit already and it's probably real one thing that we struggle with here is a child that wants to be famous because the chances of that that does, that's not what drives us you know i'm glad my mum knows some of the kids that we've taught it uh, it's nice when she rings up at the weekend and say oh i saw him on telly or i heard her song on the radio that's lovely but it's not what drives us because fame doesn't bring anything apart from fame. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're good. <laughs> so we, we, we're cautious of the fame world, and that can be difficult for young people, because it's difficult enough without having that added ambition, which at the moment can be how many likes you get on TikTok, which could, is a brilliant thing. You know, it's amazing to get loads of likes on, on, on YouTube. It's not, um, we I think that's an incredible talent. But it needs to be backed up probably with authenticity and with and with the needed knowing that this will take time. You know, it does not come quick. Um, some of our actors, it takes them to their early 30s before they get their first chance. You know, some of our musicians have been working for 10, 15 years before one of their records gets noticed. It's not immediate. So I think they might have to be in for the long haul. And you can ask, you can get a sense from that question. You can get a sense from people. I, I, I see what I know what you're saying about them being intangible, but focus is something that you can see. You can see someone in a lesson within five minutes. You can see someone who's in 
and they are they know what that might look like because we haven't got a lot of time here you know two to four years to work on someone's ambition is not a long time so you've got to think that every sort of second is useful so you can see so focus can be seen i think anyone can go to a football training session and see who is larking about and who's on and you know that all those famous footballers that you know the first to arrive to um, training and the last to go home, the Frank Lampard theory. We all, I believe that to be true in art as well. You've got to put the hours in. It's not, it's not mercurial. It's, you know, people think that art is somehow happens in garrets and in your bedroom at midnight. It doesn't. It happens from working all day long on your art. So that realism is required too. I think that the questions, as much as anything, they their concepts and their ideas, and and certainly some, some something like resilience, I think, is measurable. It's also, I think, it's something you can develop um, with very specific training for it. Some people are hardwired to be able to tolerate and recover from setbacks faster because of their maybe their single-minded uh, single-mindedness, focus. That, that we've certainly encountered different versions of that in in high performance sport um, i suppose it's it's intangible when you compare it to you know measuring the power output of a cyclist or in an educational term that you're measuring um, rates of improvement or grades for example the 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 measurement culture that is pervasive in education and in business and in performance sport where we end up finding that there's a lot of orientation to that and then trying to <laughs> hack that particular system and then when you look back and think about potential and and uh, the the ability to develop over time they do feel potentially quite intangible yeah i i, I agree i think our um our history has has indicated that the you have all these intangibles and then what you have to create is a relationship. So it's the relationship which will see a young person really fly. So you can do all the measuring, you can have the best singer, you can have the greatest uh, lighting designer, but if you haven't got a relationship of encouragement and a motivation and knowing the, knowing the individuality of that person, that is where it struggles. So you need that multiple radar on what will make that child sort of fly. I met a boy on Thursday, he's a dancer, but I don't know him as a dancer yet. I only know him as a short story writer because he sent a short story writer into our magazine to be published. And it's a brilliant Orwellian dystopian short story. And so I asked to see this boy, I don't know whether he was a painter or a, a filmmaker or a games designer, but he was in fact a dancer. And so I met this young boy called Joe and we talked about literature and uh, his love of literature. Uh, and what, why I'm giving you this story, I suppose, was, was the surprise of his, of his skill um, and his dedication was apparent in that. Um, and his sense for wideness was, was kind of apparent in that. And it was, it was kind of surprising, but I, so I, I couldn't really measure it, but what I could see was like a, uh, a kind of intercombination between culture, art, and creativity, and knowledge, which usually leads to great art. So I'm getting behind this boy as a writer, 
but I might well find out that he's a terrific dancer. I suspect so. Hmm. So, uh, so the example is really that my job is to try and know all 1,400 of them as best I possibly can, or at least someone knows someone really well to know what helps light, light their candle. Because everyone has it. Every single person has it. It's just, is it encouraged? Does it find a playground to play in? And has it got like an advocate? Um, so advocacy becomes crucial in the in how young people feel great about themselves. There isn't an adult alive who can't name the teacher that they loved. There isn't. And that's because that is that responsibility to say to a teenager, you're good at maths. Or do you know what? You you might be a scientist. That that encouragement is amazing. So when I walk into a theatre room, I don't say morning students, I say morning actors because that's what they wish to be. If I walk into a mathematics lesson, I say morning mathematicians. So, you know, I think we, we once you get behind talent uh, and you bespoke your approach to it, so you don't see them as a, you don't see them as a class, you see them as 25 young people, then I think that's when good stuff can happen. Um, so I'm hearing in the sense that the, you're not necessarily true, well, I would assume that you are training people in known ways to help them develop. So if you do this and you do that and you do the other, there's a technical skill to that that has some currency or some value or it has previously been valued or is useful. But here, what I'm hearing is that there's there's a guide. There's that you've mentioned advocacy, is mentoring aspect to this, that where somebody is feeling as though they are backed. We yeah. we back you to progress, which feels doesn't have might not necessarily have a direction that you're pointing them to, but you're helping them along their path. There's novelty in that. You're breaking new ground. Or you're helping them break new ground. Is, am, I, am I making sense? And I'm trying to digest this. And I think the important thing here is that they're breaking their own ground. So it's not the ground you've set up for them. I was working with a. I remember chatting to a fashion designer a couple, the year before last year, I think, at Chelsea, who's ex-Brit, and he he's a Colombian young man who designed women's clothes for men in Colombia to break down stereotypes of what it is to be a man in Colombia, and. It just that blows, blows my mind, you know, like, who'd thought that that's what was needed. But this young man thought that that was needed because that was his journey. We don't know so much about Colombian masculinity. He does. Um, but we do what we do know is about how to make clothes. So we teach this young man how to make clothes technically, but give him the space and the play time to find out what he wants to say. And then when that is found, so for all the technicality in the world, no one watches a great dancer who hasn't got belief. They're just great technically. Then then we turn off because nothing magical happens, you know. And the magic really only happens, I think, when someone knows who they are and it gives them that truth. And with that, I think, for artists, great stuff happens. And um, you, you've talked about that um, people coming into your environment um, spotting that they can contribute or that you can add um, some value to them. Uh, I'd imagine that you've encountered a few challenging personalities over the years. And, and, and certainly my experience of working with performers is that there is, there's always something. There's, there's often an edge. There's, 
there's something that propels them, that drives them. Um, but some of those qualities aren't um, so sociable, uh, sometimes nice. Um, they're quite disruptive, potentially. Um, just some, at least. Um, and so I'm just curious to find out about how you embrace that, but also harness, I suppose, the, the, the renegade as much as anything. I think the renegade is is what we need you know so when you uh like we don't have uniform at brit and right. it's it's very unhelpful why would you turn around to a teenager when they're trying to find out who they are and express themselves and say no you can't do that you have to wear this what what, what why, why would you do that because what happens then is that the, then that person goes okay i will disrupt this system um because that's what I'm. My brain is telling me between the age of fourteen to eighteen that I'm on a journey of self-discovery. But you're telling me that my 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 the way I signify to the world has to be the way you want me to. That is never going to breed art. It's just going to breed resentment and or compliance. And neither of those things lead to really exciting things. So if we all comply, nothing happens. And if we all rebel, nothing happens. So you want to get to a position of respect. And so you can see young people here go through many, many identities, um, sometimes over a very short period of time as they try to work out. And then they'll find their level of comfort and they'll find their ease with themselves because they've tried out and they haven't been told off for what jewellery they wear. Because why would you waste your time in a school? You know, I've been to schools where children get told off for having the wrong coloured brown, brown shoes not even for not wearing brown shoes, but the wrong colour brown. And that seems to me a, a, um, a strange conflict against individuality at a time when it's most required. And I think that doesn't lead to disrespect. It doesn't lead to anything but comfort. And I think when you're comfortable, you can express yourself usually fully. If you're worrying about, um, will I get told off? I couldn't afford another white shirt. You know, a boy said to me the other day, the best thing about coming to the school is that he doesn't have to scrub his collars and under his arms every Sunday night um, because he couldn't afford, his family couldn't afford loads of white shirts. So now he can just come in whatever he wants. And that just removes barriers of fear. And for me, that is quite a responsible thing for an institution to do is to remove fear. That's not to remove edge, but it's to remove fear. Um, And I think that that is healthy. Mm, okay so i that's really interesting that's challenging for me because as a parent i'm telling my daughter to to wipe her uh, nail varnish on the off that she's put on at the weekend but i suppose as much as anything the conformity aspect of the uniform um from my from my background going to a <coughs> going to a fairly rough comprehensive school there yeah. was an element of the the unif what the, the the most basic form that the uniform allowed everybody to be equal where it didn't turn into a fashion parade uh, yeah, I, the I, the I youngest I, I just don't believe that's true oh, really a uniform highlights differences so how clean is your blazer how smart are your shoes how um how I I I, I oh, see right. that okay. hear that but I just don't think it plays out. I think it plays out as a controlling influence, which lends up. So so if, if you think about the Victorian era, when we used to go to work, there used to be a foghorn that went across the town to tell us that the pit was open. 
and therefore we were miners. And when it blew again, we weren't miners, we were then human beings that could go home to our families. And I think the same with schools and bells, that I think it says, this is, you're, you're now a student and this is when you exist as a student. The rest of the time, at the weekends, we don't care what happens to you. I care what happens to my kids, my students at the weekend. You know, I think it matters how they behave all day long. That, that it's not, I just don't worry about them from nine till three because that's not that's a small part of their lives. And if school is to have an impact, it must see their child as someone who gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night. It, only because that makes a human. And and I think uniform is a I, I, I hear all that I'm, uniform's not a big part of my life, by the way. This conversation isn't a major part of who we are. And also we the reason why we don't have bells at Brit schools because we forgot to buy one set up right so i'll just be honest with you there's no bell at brit and that's because they didn't plug one in when they set up the building and now we see it as an ethos thing that we don't have bells because we don't need them but the truth of the sad matter the truth is is that we never we never um elect put an electrical bell inside the school so that's why there isn't one um so it's an accident um but the uniform thing i think is is uh, it's a red herring to think that it's a big deal here by the way i'm only um uh, adding it into the mix but i can hear how that it would certainly in your environment, at the very least, and, and its broader application across education is an interesting idea, is that it, it can signal that this is different. This is, we, we want you to be yourself, if you sort of mean. It's, it's, we just want that, by the way. We just think we've, history has proven through here, and only this institution probably, that a belief in individuality has led to young people being more confident being able to participate and be brave enough to put themselves forward in quite challenging environments. So it's not a want, it's just, um, it's a it's a history has proven. There's plenty of invisible people at Brit and there's plenty of young people who don't want to be noticed and don't dye their hair. I mean, probably most of them. I'm just saying it's okay to come to school as yourself. So, um, as you said, the, the uniform might be in a bit of a tangent there for us, but in terms of handling and harnessing challenging students um do you have a sense of the norms that you, you said you, we've got lots of rules but we you know have not necessarily heavy on rules do you have principles and standards of behavior you mentioned respect there for exampleness and and respect for each other respect for the environment so um i've dealt with a physical altercation between students twice in eight years so in a school of 1,400 teenagers, to deal with two fights, for want of a better word, in eight years of leading a school, I think is probably quite few for a South London comprehensive, I imagine. So why is that? Why don't young people hit each other here? Well, uh, I'm glad they don't, because they know if they were hit themselves, they'd be excluded for some period of time. And, it's, and it goes against what you need to do. Bullying is rare here. But it does happen, of course, but it's rare and I think it's rare because um, respect is inherent within side um, how people behave. I think that um, you can wear offensive messages on your T-shirt, of course, and we can talk that through and we can try to see what, why would you wear that message on your T-shirt. That I think that's happened once in the last sort of 10 years where someone's just pushed it to a point, well, okay, if you, if you really believe you can be who you are here, what if I, what if I say this on my cap? Or whatever. Um, so I think that if you want to be a dancer, the rules of 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 ballet are extreme. They are legendary, and they are they are absolutely disciplined. 
you know, in a way that um, most other educational subjects, probably with the exception of science and mathematics, which has many, many rules, you really need to know your ballet rules. You need to know your musicianship rules of scale and and uh, and everything else that goes into composition of music to understand how mu music works. So I think the rules are um, clear. The reason I, I we, responsible is our second value after originality, and responsible we we mean in two ways. The first one is that you're responsible to the building and yourself. Um, touch wood. I don't have. I haven't had to deal with too much theft here and very, very little damage. And you've got recording studios and radio stations and film, you know, um, TV rooms. And these are the kids. That's their rooms. So why would you trash or steal from your own place of work? Um, and I think if you do see it as a place of work, I think that's helpful. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So they're, they're quite grounded, quite almost first principles of of connecting with their place of of being. I think, uh, I think that I think I think it's I think it's great to know that you belong, you know, um, that you belong in this team, in this gang, that you belong in this home. This is your, you know, this is your place of work. So belonging, I think, is is crucial, and I think that's why we came up with the phrase "always Brit." That once you're part of the Brit school, you're always sort of part of the Brit school. So you have a you have an affinity to knowing that it's beyond school. And how important is it that the pupils can connect with the alumni in that sense of? It's everything. It's everything. So if you think about a, 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 a young um, a TV guy, uh, Dwayne, who was with us on Friday. He left school what, 15, 16 years ago. He worked with DJ Ace, and both of them have now come back. DJ Ace still, you know, is prolific on a Radio One Extra. Uh, Dwayne has now got his own business. And for the young people to go, wow, you were in my chair. 14 years ago you know that's amazing I, I love it when when Tom Holland came back recently um uh to talk to the students he brought his best friend a guy called Twain Barrett and Twain is just the most beautiful lad they met here Tom was already quite successful he'd been in the West End he made a movie or two Twain didn't even know what a drama school was but he just had a brilliant affinity with acting they're now besties and when Twain and Tom came back half the questions went Twain's way because Twain was recognisable as a jobbing actor. Obviously, Tom is Spider-Man. You know, he's he's in the stratosphere. And the young people aren't fooled by that. They want to know. So that the alumni matter. They matter because... Um, and they've been beautiful during lockdown and, and beyond because they've all come back. We've had, I think, over 70 alumni talks um, to students from wow. the world of music, the world of art, the world of fashion. And their wish to say... I was once in your seat. Um, you can do what I can do. So everything from um, Mark Zuckerberg's director of comms is Brit. So she returns on the same day that um, Laura Dockrell, the the writer and children's writer, comes back the same day. Kush Jumbo was the day later. So they they and it matters to us because a vocational school is really as strong as its alumni. That's our job. You know, our job is to produce people that go on and do their thing. And I think we, we've had a pretty good track record of that. Um, and it's, you know, you want a teenager to go, that's going to be me. I'm going to be the next loyal Kana, or I'm going to be making movies like Javan Wade. We've got this um, docu documentary filmmaker working for the BBC at the moment. And, uh, and Jamie Moreland, you know, when he was 15, he said, I want to, sir, can I create a TV show at the school every week? Like um, the one show. 
And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you might as well. No one else is doing that. So we gave him the recording studio and that's what he does. Now he's gone straight into be a BBC producer at the age of 19. And uh, he's an inspiration for the kids because they're like, great, you're only four years older than me. I'm, I'm going to do what you did. Um, and I think that's, that must be, I, you know, that that is very warming. So that's an interesting idea that, that um, Tom Holland and Twain, you had, you had people that were perhaps inspired and thinking that that's the level I could potentially get to or in that sphere. Um, but equally that vicarious learning of, okay, well, I perhaps just need to get a little bit back to what's tomorrow might look like and think about the, the, what most people will go through. And how much do you prepare people for the performing arts world and the industry of it and, and surviving and thriving in that world, whether it's from uh, being able to do your accounts through to um, recover from or prepare best for, for an audition? Yeah. Well, it's a real job. It's a real one of the things I found amazing <laughs> during this period of time is people that don't realise that being the creative arts is actually a job. It's not a it's not a it's not a um, whimsical dream. It's real. It contributes to the British economy more than any other industry, the creative arts, the creative industries. Everyone knows that. So um, they, they know that it's real. They know that it's very possible. And we know and it's also pretty much a safe bet. You know, it's not that everyone will become a very successful actor, but that they will use their creativity and their learning to gain work because it makes you confident, maybe you be able to communicate, it'll make you all of those things. But the world of work, you know, the, the TV and film industry are employing in a way they've never employed before. So it's actually a sound choice to make. I, I think we do prepare. I think I hear all that stuff about tax returns. It's important. Um, we will have we have those lessons. We have um I saw a mathematics lesson the other day about how to put together a world tour for a rock band. And it was just lovely to see these young mathematicians. They were 14 and they were plotting, oh, I'm going to go, the, we'll play the O2 on Monday night and then we can afford to go to Paris on the Tuesday and then we'll get down to... And that's in a maths lesson. And that wasn't, that wasn't, that was just them making maths come alive uh, in a way that's um, sensible. It's not... This isn't this isn't a joke that's going on here. This is a very sensible way of living, which is to apply your passion to the real world so you see it as tangible. How many people have studied mathematics and gone, I'm not sure why I'm doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, they've studied foreign languages for the reason of studying foreign languages. They've got no desire whatsoever to go and be a translator. But one of our leading directors who works with Ivo Van Hove, who's like probably the most exciting director working in the world at the moment, she started her career because she did French A-level at Brit. And when a certain well-known French actress was struggling with the translation of a text, she was brought in to help her. And then everything came from that because she had kind of a, a broad knowledge. Um, but I think I'm trying to say that um, the arts really matter. And the young people know that. Their feet are on the ground. You know, they know they'll have to probably start their own dance company. They know that they'll probably have to make their own videos and create their own YouTube channel. Like Mandem on the Wall, you think about those boys now, right? So Javan Wade and Percy Ascot are living the dream. One in this country, one in LA, they are absolutely living the dream. But they started because they came to Britain and said, oh, can we just borrow a camera for the weekend? We want to make a, doc a film about boys sitting on a bench talking about girls. They filmed that, huge YouTube hit. They then did a nice mockery you know, documentary about Stormzy that was like viral beyond, beyond, beyond. And now they are serious filmmakers before setting them up being the, 
And th these boys also have had them to have had a good time, but they know what self-sufficiency is. They are not reliant on others, which I think is a really powerful thing to give to a young person. Say, you be independent, um, because if you're not independent, you'll be reliant upon someone else to do the work. You know, Kush Jumbo, her career flew when she wrote her own play because no one was writing plays for young black women. So she thought, do you know what? I'll write one for myself. That became Josephine and I. That goes to Off-Broadway. The rest is, you know, history. But we've given her those skills here to know she had to be self-reliant. And is there any specific... You, you mentioned that, that the objective isn't fame necessarily, but is there any specific work that you do to prepare people for that stratosphere, that element of... The big stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think when the former kids come in and talk about it, that really helps. It levels people. Okay. So I think when, you know, Katie Melluer or, uh, I don't know, Leona Lewis have come back in and gone, you know, didn't enjoy it all, haven't enjoyed it all. It's a job. I, some days it's good. Some, you know, Loyal Karner came in the other week and said, you know, touring's really hard, really hard. I, I miss my family, you know. So I think that that authenticity... I don't know what it's like to tour anymore. I've, I've never done it, you know. So the adults won't ever know, but those that have done will. So I presume in the same way that sportsmen that have got gold medals talk to young medalists, hopefuls, and say, it's not all great. You know, it's quite nice to be on question of sport, but actually it's not, you know, you know, though all those famous stories of footballers struggling when they call it a day. I feel for them, you know. So I think our realism is checked with the former students. Um, we like this sense that uh, we two of my most favourite Brit students, you'll never know, one is a cake maker and one is a window cleaner. And the, the window cleaner is a millionaire um, because he came up with a device about how to um, scale buildings um, to clean like buildings like the Shard. And he came up with a design for that whilst trying to get money to make his first film. He brought his first window cleaning round and now he's. I think he might have retired and he's in his early 30s. So happy for him, right? And he's, I said to him, that's nothing to do with the school. He goes, no, it's everything. She gave me confidence. She gave me creativity. I'm great at pitching. And um, I know what hard work looks like. So, you know, I'm as proud of the window cleaner as I am of the number one songwriters because it means that you've contributed and it means that you're doing it and you're delivering, you know, for you, your family, your loved ones. You know, that's a nice, you know, the window cleaner story is that he mainly did the window cleaner aid to raise money for his education, but also because his his family are from Romania and he wanted to give back to his family so that they could be all right. So, yeah, good for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to to think about some of the peak moments. It's easy and it's a knee jerk to think about the moments that the success happened. Yeah. And <clears throat> but equally, if I take longer to reflect that actually it's the pursuit and and I think about the people who have tried as much as the as the champions there's no less uh, I, no, I, I'm with you all the way I, I I the joy of it always is is the adventure and I and most people know that it's not the media's favorite way of explaining success or the way of metrics but everyone knows that the rehearsals are usually much more fun than the performance, that the training is probably more, you know, the, the pinnacle stuff is just pinnacle stuff, you know. But I think getting up every day and, you know, playing the guitar for many is just an absolute joy, you know. Mm. The number one hit records are 
byproduct and fabulous, but they're not. Yeah, I think I'm trying. I'm, I'm probably coming across as a bit pious, but I'm I'm trying to say that we're trying to keep people's feet on the ground, and that and they're actually very happy to have their feet on the ground. I know the media would wish young people to be shallow and taking selfies all day long, but they're not really. You know, they're just doing that occasionally. They're mainly just interested in hard work and getting reward. Yeah, well, there's certainly, I think there's some way to go to detaching an outcome or a success with your self-worth and, and understanding that actually we, we, we can take so much more from the relationships, the collaborations, the experience, the, the discovery and that sense of wonder from the process as opposed to did it result in the thing that we specifically said that we had to state as a target? Yeah, I, I, and I think the education system has some challenges there, um, which is that if you don't get a four or a five, or you don't get a seven, or whatever it happens to be that you somehow failed, that destination result is how we will measure you. You are a series of fives and sixes. You are a nine. You know, you are not. <laughs> You're never a number. It's just some, it's one part of your narrative, you know. So you can have really, you can have really successful number one artists whose songs aren't very good. And it's, are you, if you're happy with that, then cool. <laughs> and so finally, Stuart, because um, I, I'm, I'm full of wonder as to what you hope and have ambitions for either at the Brit School or broader for um, education. I'm, I'm curious to know what your mission is and what your hopes are for the future? Um, I'm a little sad at the moment, like most people that work in arts education. I'm a little sad that it doesn't feel as valued as it might be. Um, the contribution to the arts, to society on a, for mental health reasons and for financial reasons and for pride and sense of worth are colossal. I mean, colossal. And I don't know that that's fully recognised. Um, and that saddens me. And so I suppose if I did have an ambition, it would be to remove that sadness in some way or to make the person who is, um, for instance, if, you know, if you're not, if all you're, not all you're good at, if your talent is that you can paint, but you're not so good at other subjects in, in school, you're not really seen as a success by the education system. And I wonder why. I wonder why that Picasso or Van Gogh or Tracy Emin were an amazing contributors to how we think about the world, how we see the prism of life. They're valued and someone must have valued them one day someone would value Vivian Westwood. I don't know how good she was at mathematics or science, but my goodness, could she design clothes? You know, I don't know if Maya Angelou was any good at science either, but boy, could she write. And so when art and creativity isn't valued, I, I worry a little bit for those young people who haven't got someone to value them. You know, the, uh, you know, we know that there are only two subjects that matter to schools now, and they're English and maths. And we know why that is. But therefore, the historians will drift away. The, P, the footballers will drift away because they won't be valued in their school. And that is a challenge, I think. So whilst we don't have a, a democratic education system based on neurology and based on skill, that is wide, I worry. So I, 
I don't know if I'll, I've, I've talked to people about this a number many times and I feel that some people go, yeah, I totally get it, but um, it won't ever change. And if I talk about a big plan, it would be to try to see if we can make some movement on that. Um, and if I can't get any movement on that, then I'll, we'll just have some fun in Selhurst. And the Brit School um, has contributed to a number of schools that have grown up in this country. So the amazing ELAM, which is a music um, school in East London, has been shaped a bit by Brit, the Birmingham Ormiston Academy in Birmingham, the uh, Liverpool uh, Institute for Performing Arts, although you know that's all their own work. Hopefully we're in the mix there somewhere. Hopefully um, some people have enjoyed some of the films and some of the songs our students have have written. I hear that some of them are quite popular. So that's, that's nice that people buy records of young people that went to a school in Selhurst. I hope that carries on. Um, uh, so yeah, I hope we survive. You know, financially, the school has taken a huge hit in the last um, uh, eight to 10 years because of changes to how schools are funded. My main job now is actually to be a fundraiser. So one of the reasons I'm on this call is because someone might listen to it and go, that sounds amazing, and not realise that the school has to raise, you know, £1.5 million a year just to keep going because of how performing arts schools, this particular school, is funded. So um, that's a bit sobering. To um, So my ambition is to be a really good fundraiser. <laughs> OK, well, so, so quite uh, a dichotomy there in terms of survival and, you know, uh, yeah, hopefully people tuning in will be able to uh, t take up that challenge and that call. But you have an incredible cause to create and a, vo a voice and um, you're championing not only the spirit and ethos, but uh, effectively a whole industry that you're trying to contribute to. Well, I hope so, Steve. I mean, lots of the industry help us. I just want to make that clear on this, that the music industry have been incredible. We're, we're sponsored by a charity called the Brit Trust, and they set us up 30 years ago. They've never, ever ducked their responsibility to help. The Brit Trust have been amazing. We've got other good friends. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber has been incredibly helpful. Lots of people who know that what the world needs is a diverse um, workforce and a, a workforce that doesn't just come from privilege or come from particular um, parts of society. Uh, they, they have backed us. Um, you know, our social mobility is off the scale, just in terms of young people who have then gone on to do things with their lives. They never would have imagined, you know, the games designers that are out working in Silicon Valley now who came here, didn't even have a laptop, but yet they they knew what they could find here and they could have a playground to grow. Um, I just think it matters. Um, I think that if, yeah, I, I think I think I've been clear. I, I think it matters. Amazing, Stuart. Thank you so much for joining us. The philosophy and the enthusiasm and the dedication that you have that comes through that is helping other people to realise their creative visions is, is incredible. So I'm massively appreciative, Stuart. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. Good luck. Hope it goes well. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stuart. You can follow the amazing work of The Brit School on Instagram and Twitter. The handle is at The Brit School. And you can also follow Stuart on Twitter at Stuart Warden. If you'd like to support the school in their efforts, there is a link in the show notes to their fundraising page too. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve and us at support underscore champs. Have a look at our LinkedIn page, supporting hyphen champions and our Instagram account too. If you're looking for some coaching support or some virtual team development to help support you go to the next level in work, life or sport, then take a look at supportingchampions.co.uk forward slash coaching hyphen mentoring or drop us a note at inquiries at supportingchampions.co.uk and you can sign up for a free consultation to explore which package is right for you.